Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Anybody excited to be in God's house this morning? Like you're actually happy to be in church? I don't know about you, but I just get happy when I'm here, no matter how I came. And uh, hey, I'm excited to be jumping into part number two of this series that we're calling The Way. And we're going to have a lot of fun in this series. Next week, I want to encourage you to come back. Our next-gen pastor, Pastor Ryan, is going to continue in this series, and it's going to be really helpful. I especially want to invite parents that have, uh, you know, Gen Z, younger uh, grandparents that maybe you have, uh, you know, people in your life you really care about. He's going to kind of help us to walk in the way from that angle and that perspective, so it's going to be really helpful. But today, I want to start out with a story. I want to take you back to the year 2004. This is the year that I graduated. I'm starting to feel old. And uh, this was a big year because it was the London Olympic Games. Does anybody remember the London Olympic Games? And there was this American Olympian. His name is Matt Emmons. And he was an air rifle shooter. He's one of the best in the world. And today he has a bronze and a silver and a gold medal. He competed in four uh, separate Olympic Games. Really talented guy. But he actually should have not just one gold medal, but two as the story goes. And so it was on this fateful day in 2004. He was doing pretty good in the Olympic Games. Actually, he was in the final round of this competition for air rifle. And really, he doesn't even need that great of a score to go home with the gold. He just really needs to get on the board. And so he steps up, he readies himself, he aims, he fires, and he hits the bullseye. But he doesn't hear the reaction that he thinks he should hear When he hits a bullseye that gives him the gold medal, actually, he starts to hear murmurs and confusion in the crowd. And the problem was that he hit the bullseye, but he hit it on the wrong target. And so what would have been like a first place finish ended up putting him in dead last. He didn't even make the podium. And it goes down in history as one of the most infamous moments in Olympic sports. And here's why I say this. As a pastor, this is my prayer for every person. I pray that you would not get to heaven one day and stand face to face with the one that created you and realize that you had spent your whole life aiming at things of no eternal significance, hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. And so today, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, hey, how can we aim our life in such a way that we honor God? And one day, here's our prayer that you would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, speaking of the Olympic Games, I love what the Apostle Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Let's read this together. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So I like this, run in such a way as to get the prize. Because everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Jesus wants us hitting the right bullseye on the right target. He wants to be able to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my promise. And so the question is, what does it look like to walk in the way? I love what the missionary William Carey said. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter. And so by the end of this message today, that's my prayer that that kind of idea would sink in. And if you're kind of wondering, hey, where does this whole idea of the way come from? Well, this series, it really goes back to origins that date back a couple thousand years ago when the church was getting its start. You know, most people don't know this, but for many years, Christianity was not called Christianity. 
If they wanted to identify those crazy people that decided to follow that crazy Jewish Messiah, they would say, oh, they belong to the way. And the way was not simply this, uh, you know, this thing they would add on or a supplement to their life. It wasn't something they would sprinkle into their work or sprinkle into their career or their relationships. No, the way, it, it was a way of life as they followed Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. It was everything. It changed the way that they looked at the world. It changed their value system. It changed every part of their life and how they operated. It was a different path altogether. And when you look at the Greek word, Pastor Joe did such a great job bringing this out last week, but the Greek word for the way is hados. And look at what it means. It means a way or a road, but I like this. It also means a path or a journey. When I look at this room and I think about all the amazing people that call Believer's Church home, maybe some that are here as guests today, here's what I can tell you. The beautiful thing about this place is that there are all kinds of different people that are coming from all different kinds of places, but we're all on the same path, heading in the same direction, right? What I love is that I can look across the room and I see some people that have been serving God their whole life. I mean, they were born into this. And and some of you, you've been serving God for two or three or four decades. I, I can actually pinpoint some people that have been following Jesus for 40 plus years. But then what I love is that in the second service today, there's a guy that's gonna be baptized named Greg. And he decided to follow Jesus four weeks ago. And when I talked to him at Stone Fruit Coffee, he looks at me and he can't help but tearing up. And he says, I've never felt this way before. And it's changing everything about my life. This is what walking in the way truly looks like. And I love what the prophet Jeremiah says. He's speaking to the people of God in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. This is interesting. I want you to listen with with me here as we read it. He says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And I love this because this was created and written literally thousands and thousands of years ago. But can we all agree this applies to our modern culture just as much right now? I mean, it might actually be more important in 2023 than it was several thousand years ago because how many of us know people? How many of us are people that are looking for rest for our souls? It feels like no matter what we go to find in this world, we cannot find that rest. It's almost elusive. It's evasive. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah is talking about. And if you read the full context of the scripture, this is God calling his people back to the path. This is God saying, hey, you've veered off the path. You've stopped walking in my ways. Come back to my ways and you'll find rest and fulfillment in your souls. And so here's what I wanna do for just the next couple of minutes today. I'm gonna build a simple message off of these three instructions that the prophet Jeremiah gives to us. And here's the first one. And I would encourage you, this is, uh, this is written in the Bible somewhere. Those who take notes will get into heaven. And so, okay, that's a joke. That's a, that's a bad pastor joke. Nailed it. Okay. Number one, I like this. He says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. We live in the information age. And it is, it is crazy to me how quickly information is growing. I was thinking about this. This will date me a little bit. But I am old enough to remember a day where you could not pull out your phone and search for infinite wisdom and information on this thing called Google. Does anybody remember those things we used to call encyclopedias? Come on, somebody. Do I have any proud owners still of Encyclopedia Britannica? Did anybody get excited when you got one of those? 
Oh my goodness. I remember how cool I thought I was when I could get it on a CD-ROM and I had all of my Encyclopedia Britannica stuff loaded onto my Dell computer, you know? And uh, so I, I, know, I know some of you are like, what is Encyclopedia? Well, for the young people in the room, it's kind of like Wikipedia, but reliable, okay? Like not crowdsourced. And so there's this guy that years ago came up with something called the knowledge doubling curve. He's got one of the coolest names in history. His name is Buckminster Fuller. I know we have a lot of expecting ladies in the house. So if you're looking for a name, you're welcome. (laughs) Buckminster. And this is interesting. I just want to read to you about the knowledge doubling curve. He did research on this in 1982. And he suggested that in 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every 100 years. Now watch how this increases. By the end of 1945, the rate had come down to every 25 years. And by 1982, every 13 months. Pause for dramatic effect. Now get this, today, 1982 looks quaint because a fellow futurist, this is Ray Kurzweil, he has suggested that with the arrival of the internet, it is now doubling every 12 hours. I can't even wrap my mind around that, but every 12 hours, they are saying the collective knowledge of mankind is doubling. Now look at what they go on to say. Another way to think about this is that just as radioactive materials have a half-life, so too does knowledge. So that's the length of time that it takes before half of a set of knowledge is made completely obsolete or superseded by new knowledge. And the half-life of knowledge is decreasing at an accelerated rate. Can we all agree there's a lot of knowledge to be had out there? And I want to say this because oftentimes there's this idea, and it's a false one, that God is in competition with science and knowledge. And I just want to make this point. God, one of his characteristics is that he's omniscient. And so if you break down those words, there's two words. They're omni, all, and science. In other words, God has the knowledge of all things. And so knowledge could double every 12 hours from now until eternity, and we would still not even be able to scratch the surface of the infinite wisdom and knowledge of the God that we serve. He's not intimidated by knowledge. He appreciates knowledge. To fear the Lord, in fact, is the beginning of knowledge. That's what the Bible says. But I want to make this point. I love what Jeremiah is saying here. He's saying, ask for the ancient paths. Like in a world that says we have all the information we could ever need and we'll have more tomorrow. He's saying, hold on, I want you to ask for the ancient paths. And this is interesting. I I just want you to think about this. How often do we have a tendency, even in Christianity, to look for the new thing? Oh man, I want to, I want to pursue the new knowledge or the new translation or the new interpretation. I want, I want to see it from a new perspective. And although I think that is valuable, I think sometimes we can do it to the neglect of the ancient truths that God's calling us to follow. Like, I just feel like we can tend to overcomplicate sometimes the simple truths of the gospel. And I don't know if anybody's with me this morning, but I truly believe that if it was good in Jeremiah's day and if it was good in Jesus' day, then it's good enough for me too. Like some things just never go out of style. Some truths never cease to be true. Some values never cease to be valuable. And I believe God wants us to ask for the ancient past. I have a pastor friend who pastors in Youngstown, Pastor Keith. And you know, they always say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And he likes to say, sometimes you need to teach a new dog old tricks. And when I work with the next generation, and I get to do this a lot. You know what I'm so encouraged by? There is a deep hunger in them that says, God, I just want to know what you have to say about this. 
because the way of the world isn't working super well. I don't know if you've looked around at the world lately, but things aren't going so great. And it's because we've got a world that's going the opposite way that God is calling them to go. So let's just real quick, let's talk about some ancient paths. Like you wanna know something that doesn't have a half-life, it doesn't have a shelf life, it never goes out of style, honor. The Bible says, honor your mother and your father and it will go well with you and you will live a long life on the earth. It's actually, the Bible says, the first commandment that comes with a promise. If you honor your mom and your dad, it'll go well with you. And I wanna say this, some of us have parents that are not honorable. And Pastor Joe has preached this for years, but I think this is helpful. I want you to remember, we're not honoring their perfection. None of us have perfect parents. We're honoring their position. And so there's actually a reward that comes attached to honoring people that are in authority over us because all authority comes from God. All authority is not godly, but all authority comes from God. So honor your mother and your father. It'll go well with you and you'll live a long life on the earth. Honor your wife, husbands, and it will go well with you and you'll eat good and you'll sleep on the bed and not the couch. Can I get an amen? Honor your boss and it will go well with you and you'll be promoted at your job. Honor doesn't have a half-life. How about this one? This is an ancient path that is, it is almost a lost art. And I, I am the most guilty of this. How about a Sabbath? Remember, this is just as much a commandment as thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, thou shall not lie. But it's one of the first commandments I set to the side. Anybody else with me on that? Like sometimes I'm convinced that I let FOMO drive my life more than faith in God. Because there's just kind of this, this burden in me, this urge in me to not miss out on all the crazy cool things that are going on. And, and we're scrolling through social media and somebody's always in some cool place doing some exotic thing, eating a meal that's better than mine, in a house that's cooler than mine, driving a car that's nicer than mine. And FOMO can kind of, just this fear of missing out can drive my behavior and my schedule gets filled up with things that maybe aren't even bad things. They're just not God things. And so what would it look like to find the ancient past? I, I look back at how God would speak to the Israelites. This is interesting. Remember, they live in an agrarian society. Everything they do, their economy, their, their livelihood, it was all connected to their crops. But God had this interesting rule. He said, I want you in the first six years to plant and harvest as much as you can. But then he said, in the seventh year, I want you to cease your work. I want you to rest. I want you also to rest the land. And if you ever look at our modern agriculture and some of the problems that are going on with GMOs and all that stuff, it's because we actually refuse to rest the land. And so there's even some ancient truths that could help us in this modern world if we just did it God's way. But, but I want you to put yourself in the Israelite shoes. This is my livelihood. And it feels a little counterintuitive that God is telling me, take a whole year off and don't produce anything. But look at what he says in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 20. He says, you may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? Now watch this. God says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. I call this the Chick-fil-A principle. Chick and, and you're welcome, because I just made you think about Chick-fil-A on Sunday. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Number one does sound really good right now. No, but... But Chick-fil-A, what, what is the decision they made? They said, hey, we could probably work on Sunday and all of our competitors are selling chicken on that day, but we're just gonna trust that God can do more with six days than we can do with seven. We're gonna trust that when we rest, God will take care of the rest. Rest is really just an exercise in trust, isn't it? 
You know, I was thinking about just a practical example uh, in our life as a church. And as often as we can, we just endeavor to be transparent about things that we struggle with and how we can, how we can have tensions in our own heart and in our own soul to walk the ancient path. And uh, I was thinking about this, uh, my wife and, and I and, and our family and our whole staff, we walked through COVID. Can you, can you believe it's almost three years ago now? And, you know, before COVID at all of our campuses, we were humming. I mean, when I, I, it was just amazing to watch what God was doing and, and it, it just felt like everything was momentum. And we've walked through seasons where that wasn't the case, but it was just like, it felt like things were really working. And then COVID happened and we had this unique opportunity that you don't get, maybe you get it once in a lifetime where you have to stop everything and you just get, you start to ask questions like, is this fruitful? Is, is this something God wants of us? And so one of the big things we started asking God about was our Saturday service. And you have to understand, I've grown up my whole life in church. Uh, BC in Boardman has existed about five years, but BC as a whole has existed 40 years. In 36 of them, we had Saturday night service. And in about 35 of them, it was fruitful and, and it was really worth it to do. But after COVID happened and then we brought our services back in Warren, um, most of our volunteers had migrated to Sunday and we could not staff it with kids workers and, and we just didn't have the same people showing up. And, and so we just started asking ourselves, is this the right thing to do? And we, we still brought it back and tried to kind of manufacture some momentum and my wife, the whole time, even before COVID, she would say, hey, Joe, you're asking people to take a Sabbath on our volunteer teams, and then you're making it impossible for them to take a Sabbath. And I would say, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, a nice godly conversation. But think about this. Like, we have volunteers. I'm looking at some of you that you would work all week, Monday through Friday. You would show up on Saturday, give half of your Saturday to make the Saturday night service happen. You'd wake up at 7 or 6.30 or whatever time, get here and make two services happen. And then I would tell you, take a Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to, to make it holy. And my wife would remind me, even in our own home, uh, we can take a Sabbath on Monday, but my kids are in school most of the day on Monday. So the one day I'm supposed to rest and recuperate and be with my family, I'm not even able to do it. And so FOMO started to set in because here's, this was, this was what I would feel. And I'm just sharing some ugly thoughts in my heart. I'm being transparent. I would think, well, God, if we get rid of Saturday, there's other churches in the area that still have Saturday and all these people that I love, they're going to go there. But I just kept hearing God say, you need to be obedient. You need, you need to rest and trust that I'll take care of the rest. And you know, the craziest thing happened. We made that step. We stepped out in faith. And today I can stand here with a two-year sample size and tell you we are equally fruitful with two services on Sunday than we were with three services over the weekend. And we're about to eclipse that fruitfulness. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm not saying we'll never have a Saturday again, but I don't know that we will because I want to be obedient in that area of rest. And so if we have to, we might add a third Sunday and develop a whole other dream team that can handle the third service before we ever do that. But I'm just trying to give you a practical example of taking an ancient path, even in a modern world. And when God says, hey, I can do more with less, we got to trust him on that, right? Let's get super practical. Let me talk to the parents. We got so many parents of young kids. And man, when I look at a parent's schedule, in particular, the moms, y'all are amazing. Like I, we say it once a year on Mother's Day, but can we just real quick give it up for all the amazing moms in the house that hold things together? And but let me tell you something, I'm married to one. Moms are, are so hard on themselves. And I think modern parents are. And there is this collective pressure that culture puts on us to do more, take on more. 
And it used to be that like your kids would be in one sport and now they're like six sport athletes, you know? We, tr- we train them like they're gonna be LeBron James. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I don't wanna, you know, burst your bubble, but most of our kids will not be LeBron James, okay? Maybe yours will. But, but so we kind of walk around and we're just frantic and there's no, t- there's no rest time. And can I just say this? If you're too busy to take a day of rest, you're too busy. If we're too busy to be in God's house, we're too busy. That's why I want to applaud all the parents and say, hey, God's house is first priority. And even as crazy as my schedule is, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to take the ancient path. And if you're anything like Aaron and I, the moments when we've kind of made decisions that are fear-based, maybe we're afraid that parents will judge us that we're not doing enough for our kids or we're afraid we'll mess our kids up if they're not well-rounded enough. When we've done that, the funny thing is we're so busy, we can't enjoy any of the things that we're doing. And our kids are looking at us like, why are you so stressed out? Is life that bad? And we don't enjoy anything that we're doing. So I think what God is saying is, hey, it'd be better to do like one or two things surrendered to me in rest than to do 16 things running around like a chicken with your head cut off. This is what Ecclesiastes 4.6 says about that. Listen to this. This is good. This is ancient wisdom. Better is a handful with quietness than two handfuls with labor and striving after the wind. Isn't that good? I think if fear of missing out is driving us, I just want to submit this idea. Maybe God wants us to miss out on some things. Like maybe God wants you to miss out on burnout. Maybe God wants us to miss out on a marriage that's falling apart because it's not built on the right things. Maybe God wants us to miss out on kids that don't follow Jesus because they never saw us put him first in our life. Maybe missing out isn't such a bad thing. God's calling us to the ancient paths. This is a great book if you want to, you know, kind of drill deeper on this topic. It changed my life. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This will recalibrate your thinking on your schedule and how you can kind of walk in the sacred rhythms of rest. And, uh, I'm trying to preserve my voice, so excuse me for one second. That's number one. Ask for the ancient past. Here's number two. Ask where the good way is. Ask where the good way is. For for the ancient past and ask where the good way is. I I love what Isaiah 55, 8 says. And before I read that, I just want to say the good way, maybe we could even say it a different way. Maybe it's ask where the God way is. Ask where God's calling us to go. In a world that'll tell us all kinds of different ways to go, ask where the God way is. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've all heard of the expression, it's my way or the highway, and it's so true. If we want to follow God, I can do it my way, or I can do it the highway. I was thinking about, a couple of years back when my kids started to get math, this is a scary moment that some of you parents will experience soon. They started to get math assignments that I was no longer capable or qualified to help them with. And the sad thing was that it was in fourth and sixth grade. Can you pray for me? I was clearly never a mathematician. And so um, the funny thing was we were trying our very best to like help them. And we just realized, hey, we are running into a limitation. And my wife had this memory that we have a friend that happens to be a teacher at the Warren campus, and she's kind of a math genius. And I grew up with her, and she's one of those people that can do a Rubik's Cube in like a minute flat. And I'm just impressed if you can do a Rubik's Cube. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so the funniest thing happened. Her name is Jacqueline. We brought our kids to Jacqueline, and 
And, and the funniest thing happened. Her, her thoughts were higher than our thoughts. She had an understanding of math that we didn't have. Her ways were higher than our ways. And guess what? My kids all of a sudden started to pick up on math. The craziest thing happened. This, this is really a picture of what starts to happen when we do things God's way. Because we can do it in our own power, in our own striving, and it's hard and doesn't work well. But I can do it my way or I can do it the highway. It reminds me of the disciples on the boat with Jesus. Remember, Peter and the disciples had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. And this is where we pick up. This is Luke chapter five, verse four. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deeper part and let down your nets for a catch. What's Jesus saying? Hey, you tried it your way. Now try it my way. Try it the highway. Try it the highway in your marriage. Try it the highway with your career. Try it the highway in school. Try it the highway in your relationships. You can try it your way, but it'd be much better if you try it my way, the highway. And I love that he says, put out into deeper waters. Can I just, can I make a point? God is always calling us deeper. He's always calling us deeper into faith. He's always calling us out of comfort and into the depths of who he is. And so if you feel God calling you deeper and it feels uncomfortable, you're right where you should be. This is where we grow. This is where we encounter God's goodness and faith. But I like, I like what Simon Peter says here because it's so relatable. Look at what he says. He says, we were working hard all night and caught nothing at all. And isn't that just like how it works? Like when we're doing things in our ability and in our own power and in our striving, we, we do a whole lot of work and we have a whole lot of nothing to show for it. But I like what Peter says as a follow-up statement. This is a statement of faith. He says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Like, like God, I don't see any hope of anything changing in my marriage, but if you say so, I'm gonna keep loving and serving my spouse. God, God, that, that scripture, it makes me kind of uncomfortable and it doesn't feel super politically correct, but if you say so, I'll take you at your word. God, Sunday's my only day off and, and man, it's really nice to sleep in and I don't get a lot of chances. I don't get a lot of chances to kick back, but if you say so, I'll put gathering with your church as a number one priority in my life. God, generosity feels a little bit scary when there's inflation and a recession that's looming, but if you say so, I'll be generous. There's something about just saying that statement of faith. God, I'm kind of an introvert and getting around people makes me anxious, but if you say so, I'll jump into that connect group. I'll kind of go out of my comfort zone into the deeper waters and, and build my life with relationships of people that are serving you. And I want you to look at the result. This is Luke chapter five, verse six. When they did so, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. It's, it's almost like God knows what he's doing, huh? Like, here's the takeaway. Jesus made fish and he knows how to find them. God made marriage and so he knows how to make a marriage work. God understands everything that we're up against in our life. And he's just saying, hey, just try, try the good path. Come walk this way. It'll be better for you. Here's a crazy thought. I'm going there. In a hyper-sexualized world that says, hey, try sex the world's way. Just sleep with whoever and whenever, however. Just, just pursue pleasure at all costs. I want, I want you to sh uh, see what science is actually proving about the Bible. This is from something called the Wheaton Report. 
and they surveyed couples from 11 countries, including the, U- the U.S., and they asked them about their, their sex lives. And first of all, it confirmed what other studies have concluded, that monogamous conservative Christians self-report the most satisfying sex lives compared to all other people surveyed. That's interesting. But get this, it also found couples who pray together, read scripture at home, and attend church were twice as likely as their secular peers to say they were satisfied with their sexual relationship. And this is awesome. Get this, men. The men in these couples were fully four times as likely to report being sexually satisfied as men in relationships with no religious activity. I think some of the husbands are feeling called to prayer right now as we sit in the service today. No, but it's almost just like God's way works. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. So he's saying, hey, ask for the ancient past. Ask for the good way. And here's number three. Number three is walk in it. This is the most important step, by the way. Walk in it. Ask for the ancient past. Ask for the good way and walk in it. I like like that phrase because it's always been a walk with God. This is what Adam and Eve did in, in the cool of the day in the garden. They just walked with God. It's just, it's just one step at a time, just following him, right? And, and walking in it implies that I'm not gonna just try following God. No, I'm gonna walk in it. Like I do it when things are good and I do it when things are bad and I do it when things are easy and I do it when things are hard. I do it when there's money in the account and I do it when there is none. I do it when people celebrate me and I do it when people persecute me. I just, I walk in it. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ, which means we're in a marriage, right? And what do you say when you take your vows in a marriage? You say, well, hey, it's in sickness and it's in health. It's for better and it's for worse. It's until death do us part. So help me God. And being a disciple is just daily saying, I do, I will. I'm gonna walk in it. This is what Jesus says on the subject. This is John chapter 15, verse four. He says, I want you to look at the wording here and I want you to see whenever something is repetitive in literature, especially in the Bible, it's a point of emphasis. God's trying to get something through to us, all right? Look at how many times he says the same thing. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's Jesus saying? Walk in it. Just remain in me. When things are good and when things are bad, when the prayer is answered and when the prayer is not, when I'm in the waiting season, just remain in me. Just walk in it. I'm sure all of us have a navigation app of choice. Do I have any Apple map people in here? All right, how about Waze? Let's, let's pick Waze just, just for the sake of this series called The Way. Waze is a great app. And if you've never used it before, it's like, first of all, cool because it's crowdsourced navigation. So people that are, that are going on the path can tell you what they've encountered and they can mark things along the path. That's pretty cool. But I want you to think about something. Let's just imagine we're all going on a road trip and we're headed to Los Angeles. So that's the final destination. And I plug the address in for Los Angeles and we start on the way. And let's just imagine that I was kind of selective in my hearing as a driver. Like I kind of listened to what 
ways told me to do, but some of the times I didn't. Maybe at a certain point, I got kind of tired of somebody telling me what to do, so I silenced the voice. You know what I'm talking about? Can I ask you something? Would I get there to the the desired destination? Maybe, but it might take me a while. Might look kind of like the Israelites, and what should have been an 11-day journey turned into 40 years, right? And so this, this is such a beautiful picture of walking in it because ultimately, if we're gonna get where God desires us to go, we've gotta daily seek instruction from him. You ever been driving in the middle of nowhere and you lose connection on your navigation app? That is a frightening experience. You know, and you're always, it's somewhere like where you're like, I should never run out of gas here. Like, you know, like we've all been there. We, we can't lose our connection with God. If we're gonna follow in his ways and walk in it, we've gotta stay connected. And, and here's the beautiful thing. What is the Bible? It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our what? Our hados, our path. And so this is how we navigate. This is how we know if I should take the job or not take the job. This is how I know if I should date that person or not date this person. This is how we know what dating should look like and how it looks to honor God as I walk in the way. Oh man, God just wants, he wants to illuminate every part of our life. You know what's cool about the Waze app? You can be on the road and there are some people that are up ahead of you maybe an hour or two and they can mark hazardous pathways. They can say, hey, somebody, they, they hit a turn bad over here and they're, they're on the side of the road. There's an accident, watch for that. This is why as we walk on the way, we've gotta have some people built into our life that can walk the way with us. This is why groups are so important. Because I'm telling you, I'm sitting there in our group on Wednesday and I'm watching some guys, they've been walking in the way for a long time. And then there's some people in the group that like they're, they're just a few weeks old in the Lord and God's using them to instruct them. He's using them to say, hey, watch where you're going. Watch out for that turn. Watch out for that decision. This is how God works in our life when we walk in it together. And here's the ultimate goal. So we get ready to draw to a close. The ultimate goal is this, when God's word permeates every part of my life. Like that's when I know I'm walking in the way. I want you to look at this. This is the instruction that God gave to parents in the Hebrew culture. This is interesting. I want you to look at how he tells them to walk in it, how he wants his word to kind of permeate every part of their life so they can walk on the path that he's calling them to. This is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And look at this. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Those were just like these headbands that would hang down over your head. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, like just put it everywhere. Just let God's word be constantly in front of you. Talk about it daily. Talk about it when you're on the car ride to school. Talk about it on the car ride home. Talk about it when you're sitting around on the couch. Talk about it when something crazy pops on the TV. Man, what would God say about that? What does God have to say about it? When when you're getting ready to tuck your kids in at night, just bless them and speak God's word over them. I remember my mom really loved this minister. She came to our church many years ago. Her name was Marilyn Hickey. Marilyn was one of the first women to be a preacher on TV. And she's today probably almost in her 90s. 
But my mom, uh, she so wanted us to have the word of God kind of saturating us. Marilyn had these blankets. They were like stitched blankets and they had scriptures on them. And my mom would like put blankets on us that had the word of God. Like she would just cover us with the word of God, literally, you know? Thank God for from moms that just love their kids and are a little crazy, you know? But I'm just telling you, I... I'm telling you, like things that I learned, things that I watched my parents walk in when I was five years old, I'm now walking in those paths. Train your child in the way they should go so when they grow old, they won't depart from it. This is what we're talking about. And so we look for the ancient path and we look for the good way, the God way, and then we walk in it. Here's a really good question. This is like a litmus test. Maybe you ought to write this down and just let this question bug you this week. What will 20 years of your current family routine result in? Like if I just kept walking the way I'm walking and this played out over 20 years with compound interest, what would it look like 20 years from now? Some of us are living in the bad harvest of yesterday's seeds that we sowed. And so God's just gonna tell you, hey, why don't you rip some of that old harvest out of the ground, plant some good new seeds and water them. And I'm telling you, you might remember 20 years from now, I remember that crazy Italian guy was yelling at me that day and he just made me think about 20 years from now. How about this? If you're, if you're not married or you're not a parent, singles, what will 20 years of your current routine result in? I just wrote a couple follow-up questions. Are my actions pointing to the way or are they pointing in another direction? Am I producing good kids or godly kids? Do I have a marriage built on the right foundation? Am I aiming at the right target? Singles, is the person I'm dating headed on the same path? Will they be committed to raising kids who follow Jesus or will they resist that? These are questions to ask now, not later. I can tell you as somebody that helps people with marital counseling, one of the things that ultimately becomes such a big challenge is when there's two people that just don't agree on which way to go. And they could be really great people. But what really helps when I sit down with couples that have challenges and all couples do, you know what's amazing? When both of them are like, hey, we're not getting it right and we're definitely not perfect, but we're both agreeing on this one thing, we're following Jesus. We're just gonna walk in the way. It's a beautiful thing. All right, here's the final scripture I'm gonna read. And I wanna give a little plug for next week's message Next week's message, Pastor Ryan Cathers is gonna really talk a lot deeper about this idea, but I wanna end with it. It's Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is Jesus. The Bible says he's the only way to the Father. He's the gate, he's the door. But this, listen to this, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I mean, if we wanna know if we're walking in God's ways, can I tell you one thing is for sure, it will not be a crowded path. It'll be the opposite way of culture. Your life will look different and that's okay. I wrote it this way, narrow isn't normal, but can we all agree normal isn't working? <laughs> Normal is addicted. Normal is anxiety. Normal is broken relationships. Narrow isn't normal, but it works. And so God is just saying, hey, follow the narrow path. I'm gonna just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're just gonna have a moment where we bring it all home and we just kind of make a personal connection with God and maybe take an inventory of our life and ask him, what is it that you would want me to do? What is the step you would have me to take? I was thinking about, over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure many of us have heard of the Asbury Revival. 
And the one thing that stood out to me is that it was kind of just this ordinary day. If you haven't heard about this, this is Asbury University in Kentucky. And I think in their history, they've actually had two moments that looked very similar to this. But there were these people, these students that gathered for like an ordinary chapel. You can actually watch it on YouTube. The chapel was nothing special. Maverick City was not there. Elevation wasn't there, but Jesus was there. And so a couple of them stayed after the service and they just started kind of lingering and worshiping God, just hungry for God. I think what I've heard is that some of them started kind of just confessing and saying, these are some things I need to change. Revival always starts with repentance and repentance is just saying, hey, my way isn't working, God. I'm gonna turn 180 and go in the other direction. This is honestly what I saw God doing this weekend. I don't, I don't ever try to manufacture a move of God. I think the beautiful thing about the Asbury revival is God's just moving in a unique way through people who are hungry to see him move. And it's starting to spread all over the country. And it'll look different in each place, but there will be one thing for sure that is happening. People will come to the altars, they will come to their churches and they will say, God, my way is not working. I wanna do it the highway. I wanna walk in your ways. I wanna, I wanna follow the ancient paths. I wanna do the good way, the God way. And I wanna walk in it from this moment forward. So I'm gonna give two calls today. One, I wanna ask you if today you feel God stirring in your heart that you have not been walking in the way. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean that you have anything to be embarrassed about. Can I tell you, I've had moments in my life as a pastor where God's convicted me and I've just said, God, I repent. I turn the other way. And so heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is just between you and God. If that's you, just stick your hand up. Just no embarrassment, it's just me and you. Just say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. I wanna follow God. I haven't been walking in his way and I want to. Yeah, it's amazing. There's something about just even saying it. I'll give you one more chance. If you say, that's me and I wanna follow God. Maybe I just haven't been walking in that way. Awesome. All right, here's the second one. If you can't remember a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through you. I acknowledge that I need you as my savior. If you can't remember a moment in your life, not where you even just called him God, but you said, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're calling the shots. Can you just raise your hand boldly and just say, that's me and I'm ready to follow Jesus. Pray this with me. We're gonna pray two prayers. First, church, can you help us out with both? Anybody that says, I'm ready to return to Jesus. Can you just pray this with me? Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus, that he loves me right where I am, but he loves me way too much to let me stay there. And I'm committed to walking in your way. I wanna walk in your way as I parent as I'm a husband or a wife, as I'm a student, as I date, I wanna walk in your way. So reveal yourself to me, make yourself real in a new and fresh way. I'll follow you, Jesus. All right, head still bowed, eyes still closed. If that was you and you said, Joe, I can't remember a moment in my life where I've decided to follow Jesus, pray this prayer with me, church, you can help us out, dear God, Thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus. And I receive the free gift of salvation. 
And I won't be perfect, but every day I'm gonna follow you. I am a Christian. I belong to the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.